Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ? I'm going good. Holidays are coming up really soon and I cannot wait. I'm glad to hear that. I'm really upset. <laughs> there's, there's a great big mulberry. So there's a mulberry tree in the garden of my apartment that was hanging over the uh, communal walkway. And it had this branch that was huge and almost ripe. <laughs> and today someone went and snapped it off. Oh. <laughs> Just snapped the whole branch off. No. Yeah. That sucks. No more grease for anyone. <laughs> oh, oh, what would the world be like now? <laughs> who, will, who will give me nice mulberries now that branch is gone? Who knows? So I take it you, you used the mulberries for your cooking? I was planning to. If there were any that were good, I was planning on picking them and having them with some strawberries and blueberries and stuff. Nice. Maybe make some pancakes. Oh, that would have been delicious. Yep, there's a few more branches there that have uh, some decent crops, but they're up way too high for anyone to reach. Looks like I'm heading down to the, get a ladder this weekend. <laughs> I'll get one of those ex, um, those grip claw sticks, just like <laughs> <doink. laughs> yank it, yank it down, just grab, put some mulberries there. Yep, I'm good. Yes, but uh, speaking of that callous disregard for the life of that mulberry tree, where else do you reckon we'll find mulberries, DJ? Um, I would say we can find them on Mars, but uh, <laughs> nah. No, no, this segue's not working. <laughs> Damn it. It's not working. There's life on Venus, maybe. <laughs> we all thought it would be Mars, but apparently it's Venus. So the, the Royal Astron- Astronomical Society published a press release this week. They have identified phosphine in the clouds of Venus. The problem Ooh. is phosphine is... It only ever made in very specific conditions that haven't been identified on Venus or by life. So the theory is that the uh, this phosphine is coming from microbes living in the Venu- Venusian atmosphere. So just to help me out here, so what is phosphine as an element? Is it so? It's an element or just a? Uh, I think it's a um a compound. Yes. Yeah, so phosphine is uh. Say like phosphorus and free hydrogen atoms. Ooh. Okay, so here we go. Pure phosphine is odorless, but technical grade samples have highly unpleasant odor like rotting fish due to the presence of substituted phosphine and diphosphane. Ooh. Yeah, so since this is a um <clears throat> the the other thing is so the phosphine will decay over time and there's nothing apart from life or industrial process that can explain or gas planets actually that can explain the existence of i think it's 20 parts per billion of phosphine in the atmosphere so if Venus was a gas giant we just say you know that's gas giant weirdness with all the pressure and radiation and everything but it's actually a rocky planet and there's no known uh, procedure by which you get phosphine out of a rocky planet. Mm. So this is really bloody exciting. Now comes the next part. Are we going to launch a rocket to it? We're already done. Already done? Oh, yeah. Just I'm... coincidentally, another <laughs> mission is going past Venus in the next few days or in the next few weeks, I don't remember which. And it's uh, they're going to retask it to investigate this while it goes past. Okay, so here we go. It's a rocket lab, yeah. So it's going to be so it'll be sending a small spacecraft to probe the clouds of Venus before NASA or other other space agencies are able to do so. 
Okay. Does it have the, the name of the probe? Because um, there's one that is already existing and it was flying somewhere else, but uh, just happens to be doing a slingshot around Venus. Uh, I've got one here. It's They said Rocket Lab. It's a private small company. And the small satellite is called Photon. That plans okay. to launch on its own electronic rocket as soon as 2023. Um, yeah. Okay, no. There's one that is going right now that is going to pass through the atmosphere of Venus very soon. You mean the uh, Pioneer Venus um, 1? No, it looks like it might be Parker Probe. The Parker Probe was going to the sun, and it will pass uh, Venus on... Nope, sorry, my mistake. The um, Parker Probe did slingshot around Venus, but is expected to arrive for its uh, next pass at the sun this month. Okay, so for now it's just... So, okay, what about... Yeah, I've got one here. It's the Pioneer Venus 1, and... Pioneer launched decades ago, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so anyway, um, a probe is going past Venus very shortly. They will be checking out uh, this biosignature while they're there. Uh, The interesting thing is, though, there's some debate about whether it could be contamination from Soviet probes. Mm. Because the Soviet probes, uh, they sent, I think, 15 missions to land on Venus, all of which suffered from a... from mechanical failures. They were designed to last, say, 30 minutes. A few of them lasted for over an hour. But the only probe on which all four cameras, or all the included cameras, uh, worked correctly and um, uncovered the lenses correctly, one of the lens caps landed underneath one of the other instruments that was designed to um, inspect the soil. (laughs) Yeah. Are you talking about the Veneras? Yes, the Venera probes. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're funny. <laughs> Although you gotta give it to the Russians, they never stop trying. Yeah, well, Venus is regarded as being the closest planet to Earth. Like, people think Mars is a good place to live. That's only because Mars isn't coated in sulfur- sulfuric acid clouds. Yeah. Hey, Venus has a closer um, closer gravity. The big issue is the atmosphere is awful for human life. Yeah, but that that depends on um, what they will do after they after they establish that there is life on Venus. Like, wouldn't they? Like, they could try and terraform the place. No, I think um, if if this is life on Venus, they would declare Venus a sort of uh, preservation. Because you don't want to go there and contaminate the only known life outside Earth. The um, You don't want to either kill it off or introduce your own microbes. You don't want to risk bringing any of it back until you know whether it's safe. Yeah. The um, So even though theoretically you could build a blimp and float, say, 50 kilometers above the surface where the atmosphere is Earth-like, where it's a standard temperature and pressure for Earth, you still wouldn't want to because of the sulfuric acid. And especially if this is life, it'll probably get banned. With this revelation, this does... Um, this does... This this does um, inc- um reestablish the debate about whether there's life out of space. Would you would you agree? Absolutely, that's literally the whole point of this. Yeah, and, and it, it also raises some interesting questions. Uh, how does this life live? Does it have? Is it carbon based? Does it have DNA? Where did it come from? Did it generate on its own? Uh, is it an evidence of panspermia? Was it carried there by an asteroid that hit Earth, or the other way around? Was Venus habitable? billions of years ago and life was carried from venus to earth there are so many questions that i'm so high the other question that i'll be um 
uh, would be also raised is space travel. Will um will that be the next air, um, destination after Mars? Yeah, well, if if this is life, um, people will study it. But like I said, I think if it is life, they will lock down the planet. Yeah. It'll basically become, you can only uh, visit there if you have a valid scientific mission. Yeah. What, he, he, this might be an idea for to try and study the planet, but w- but without landing in it, um, if there's life. You could try land it on, um, Venus, on, on one of Venus's moons. That wouldn't really get you much that you couldn't get from Earth. And does Venus have moons? I think, I think Venus does have moons. Yes, it looks like it does. No, sorry, none. Thanks, Google. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, screwed me up. There are no <laughs> moons on Venus. There are. There are a couple of natu- natural satellites. Well. Oh, no, they have no room. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> NASA says no. Uh, yes, uh, NASA points out that Mercury and Venus are just too close to the moon, to the sun, to have moons. Yeah, that makes sense. Another interesting qu- question would be: Would you um would you put an the and would would you put an android into the moon? Because we now got we, because we're slowly getting to how uh, mecha- to mechanization in terms of robots and um spot and stuff. Well, Do you reckon we'll put a robot there or? I could see a balloon based craft that would be designed to float. Uh, in the atmosphere because the surface of Venus is just terrible. Yeah. Like the, the Venera probes only lasted for, you know, 90 minutes at best. So the future exploration of Venus is robot based, but good luck actually uh, getting to the surface and staying there. And transmitting information from Venus to Earth would take a long, long time. I don't think it would. I think it would be actually shorter than um, than for Mars for most of the time. Because I think in terms of um, distance between the orbits, Earth and Venus are closer. And because Venus orbits inside Earth's orbit, uh, Venus at its furthest point would be closer than Mars at its furthest point. So right now, the uh, Venus lies... 162 million miles, so that's 261 million kilometers away, and it will take Venus takes 224.7 Earth days to travel around the Sun. So it makes uh, it makes its closest approach to Earth once every 584 days. Okay, See, that's going to be also interesting in how this is co- um because are there any habit because they, because it's bordering on that habitable planet zone, doesn't it? Uh, no. I think it's outside the Goldilocks zone. Ah. And even if it wasn't, first you'd have to, uh, oh no, Venus and Mars are in the Goldilocks zone. But first, if you wanted to land on Venus, you'd have to blow away the atmosphere and replace it with something better for life. And you'd have to deal with it being closer to the sun, so it's hotter. Yeah. Would you want to go, would you want to go there once it's, um, everything's, everything's fixed over in Venus? No. No? I would not want to go to Venus for my holidays. (laughs) <laughs> but in the beginning, the earth was without form and void. Do you recognize that, DJ? Did you read the Bible again? No. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of similar to uh, the opening of the Bible, but <laughs> no, it's the introduction to civilization. Ah. <laughs> Sid Meier's Empire to Stand the Test of Time. Have you played Civilization? Nah, I played. I played um, Age of Empires. <laughs> How have you gone your whole life and not played Civilization? Have you played any Sid Meier games? 
You can tell because he usually puts his name at the front. Oh, years and years ago, but not to the not not to the best extent. Oh, wait, was one of the games. Uh, so I might have played oh Gunship years and years ago. That was the only game I played from Sid Meier, and that's it. But other okay. than that, yeah. But that was like I said, that was years ago. Although I did hear a lot of um. A lot of stuff about the civilization and how, even though it has t- um, stood the test of time, there have been some faults in some of the games. Well, that's true. It's a forex a game. That's not the beer. That's uh, I'm going to have to double check what that stands for. <laughs> but it stands for the. This isn't uh, the a por- por- it's it, it's not a porn game, is it? <laughs> no, that would be freex. Here we go. It's explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. <laughs> so Sid Meier's Civilization, way back in 1991, kind of founded the 4X genre. It's sort of the original to most people's minds. Now, there are other games that are a bit older, a um, bit newer. It's, you know, as with any genre, there's a bit of debate about where it started. See, I always thought before I ever heard of Civilization, I always thought Age of Empires was the baby before before every other studio started play, making um, strategy games. No, that would be, to most people's mind, it's Command and Conquer, but uh, an even earlier game is June 2 by the same studio, Westwood, but it predecedes the first Command and Conquer by a few years. So sort of like how Civilization isn't technically the very first 4X, it's the one people know about. Just like how Star Wars isn't the first uh, isn't the first story based on June. That's the one people know about. I'm not angry. <laughs> but anyway, Sid Meier is releasing a uh, memoir called Sid Meier's Memoir. <laughs> Just like every game he made from, like, the early 80s to the... uh, No, he's still doing it. It's still (laughs) Sid Meier's Civilization VI. (laughs) I I like how he's just trying to put his name in everything. He's trying to be like, um, who's that? um, that, that um, The guy who donated everything and put his name in everything. um, Carnegie? uh, Yeah, Carnegie. (laughs) That's the one. Like Carnegie Hall, Carnegie S- 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 uh, Scholarship, Carnegie this, Carnegie that, like sit by this, sit by that, sit by this. <laughs> You're like, what the heck, man? Yeah, so you've just put the wrong link in the show notes, DJ. It's June 2. Uh, uh, the first uh, June wasn't a strategy at all. And there's a very complicated story why it's June and June 2, and I'm not going to get into that now. But be careful because I will. So, among 12 Civilization games, including six main title games and spin-offs, um, Pirate Games, Railroad Tycoon Games, not actually Railroad Tycoon as such, but uh, Flight Simulators, Racing Games, he's had quite a pedigree. Mm. And he's releasing this memoir in which he points out that he thinks he probably wouldn't play Civilization if it was made today. Not because he thinks it's a bad game, but because he thinks that the uh, the world just isn't ready for it. Yeah, he'd, he'd, I think he has a point, though. I mean... Yeah, there's no room for strategy games anymore. Nah, it's dying. <laughs> I mean, you do get the odd Age of Empires and Command and Conquer game coming out, but they're all... I think it was it's Age of Empires 4 is coming out. And yeah. then the, with Command and Conquer, it's just basically we're going to remaster it, remaster it, remaster it. To be fair, that's um that's how Age of Empires 
uh, got revived, they remastered it, and then people loved it, so they were like, we'll make another game. Yeah. Um, but apart from Civilization and a handful of other games, there's just not enough room in the 4X space to fit every game that comes out. And people tend to get stuck on a strategy game. Strategy games are notoriously hard to balance, and people get stuck on them for decades. And people have a favorite, and it's really hard to get them off it. Yeah. So most esports and shooters people cycle through you know they have a lifespan of a couple of years um but strategy games people hang on to for as long as they can people still play starcraft 2 professionally that's nine years old at this point (laughs) but a game of civilization also takes a lot of time yeah so i think it's also less popular because um it it does take a lot of investment to get into a game of civil civilization yeah and then not to mention like there are some strategy games but um that have been going into the uh mobile phone market though yeah yeah the mobile phone is both a good and a bad place because it works well for turn-based games you can take as long as you want you can get through a turn sitting on the bus in the morning and it's awful because the screen is so damn tiny. <laughs> well, it depends though. Like if you, I think that could be, um, well, that, that could be remedied if you're playing on an iPad. Yeah, that helps. I mean, they did uh, re-release Rome Total War on iPad a few years back now. And the Total War games are pretty in-depth. They combine aspects of 4X like Civ and RTS like Age of Empires. Yeah, and not to mention like you've you've got uh, you've got new um, strategy games that that do come out as well, like um, Clash of Clans. Uh, although, yeah, that's sort of strategy catering for the mobile market. Yeah, as opposed to say, um, well, Aurora Four X is nuts. It's a sci-fi like Stellaris on steroids. <laughs> Wait, what's it called? Aurora. Aurora 4X. So Stellaris on steroids. You could never fit that on a mobile phone. You couldn't (laughs) even fit regular Stellaris on a mobile phone. Uh, Civilization, the newer ones, which um, maybe you simplify them a bit more, you could fit on mobile phones. Um, but the, the but then uh, we're going, we're straying a bit to the bit, um, bit off topic. But I reckon now, like strategy games, uh, as much as uh, as much as it pains me to say this, I don't think they don't they they can't survive. They can't survive the test of time. I mean, they survived in the nineties. They survived. They've sort of survived in the two thousands. Now we've gone to uh, and, they, and they're ambling away at twenty ten. Now it's now I don't think they can survive in the PC market world. Well, I think you're wrong, but um, I think the sort of people who play strategy games will play strategy games forever. They'll play the same strategy game over and over because there is that much depth to it. You can try that many different uh, ways to play. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. It's just that the, the market for strategy games isn't a big one. It'll keep ticking along. And maybe in five years or 10 years, something will click and we'll just have a huge influx of strategy games. People will love them and we'll be back to the the 90s. Uh, Even if that doesn't happen, you'll still find people playing Civilization, Crusader Kings, Stellaris, uh, StarCraft 2. You'll probably get to the setting of StarCraft 2 and people will still be playing it. Yeah, but will it get to... So you reckon it's a cyclic... It's cyclic. Not so much cyclic, but that um, that you can't kill the core fan base of the strategy games. And as long as you keep making them, they will keep playing them. 
Yeah, that's true. And if you I stop get... making them, they'll just play the last one to come out. Yeah, I get that. Like if he, if, if like um, they'll, they'll keep making them and stuff. But that's the problem. EA did that. They, they, they. EA did that when they made Command and Conquer the mobile phone game, and people were pissed because that wasn't Command and Conquer that people wanted to play. It wasn't a strategy game on PC. Yeah, just like people were upset about Diablo Eternal. That oh, wasn't yeah. Diablo Four. People were upset. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so reckon- those games split from their pedigree. They take a different concept and run with it. And that's why people don't like it. Um, by the way, Professor, was Diablo Immortal, just to correct you. Okay. Correction. I'm thinking Doom but- Eternal. That's probably <laughs> where that came from. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, I agree. So you reckon Sid is right? In the- Sid-, Sid is right, though? Yeah. I don't think you could make a new Civilization game today. I think you'd need to find some way to do something incredibly different. And otherwise, people would just say, why don't I play Civ? Because strategy players have really have their their game, and it's hard to get them away from it. Uh, is, do you reckon there is a booming market in the indie game circuit for, for strategies? Well, that's the difficulty, because strategy games take a lot of effort to make. And there probably aren't a lot of indies who can make a strategy game as in-depth as, say, Stellaris or Civilization and have it balanced well. Besides the in-depth lore and um, character design, and stuff, what's the biggest flaw when it comes to creating strategy games, in your the balancing. opinion? The balancing? Absolutely the balancing. You could have a strategy game that was just colored blocks fighting each other, and people would play it as long as it was balanced. So a game like Age of Empires, everyone's pretty much equal. You might have a unique unit. Kind of easy to balance, especially these days with um, live betas. You release the game to a beta, let people play it and see what the meta is, and then decide whether you need to adjust it. Harder back then. When Civilization came out, you couldn't really ship a patch. There were no, not really any balance patches, uh, bug fixes. The game had to be good when it left the door. Uh, so that's uh, actually a point in favor of indie strategy development. Um, Something like Civilization, again, mostly the same. So fairly easy to balance compared to something like StarCraft, three diverse races. That's harder to balance because how do you decide what unit is strong against what, how how it all integrates together. And that gets exponentially harder the more races you add to the, the game. But we should move it along. And we were talking about uh, people who make changes that people aren't happy with. So DJ, what's your topic about? <laughs> so Rick Riordan, he, he, the man behind the uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, has uh, decided and to... And the un- abysmal movies. <laughs> <laughs> Have yes, you seen yes. his letter that he wrote to the directors? No, what did he... He wrote did... this scathing letter to the directors basically saying, you're wrecking it. <laughs> Oh, no, I have to read this letter now. <laughs> oh, man. I bet you it must have been as scathing as um, Jerry Bruckheimer when he did the Pirates of the Caribbean. He's like, no, um, it's so horrible. I'm rewriting this whole thing. Yeah, so he wasn't too happy about the movies, which is how that segue worked. You get it, right? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> there we go. Good man. So um, he's taken it to social media saying that he's developing a feature adaptations of the Kane Chronicles. So for those who are not familiar with the Kane Chronicles, it's basically taking to another journey of mythology as uh, uh, exploring the Egyptian gods through the eyes of Sadie and Carter Kane. And the first of the three books is uh, 
in the series is the Red Pyramid, which was published in 2010. And it's followed by the Throne of Fire, the Serpent's Shadow, and... Um, yeah, oh yeah, yep, Serpent's Shadow, sorry. So the series will be set in the same universe as um, Reardon's Camp High, High Blood Chronicles and Magus... Uh, Magnus Chase and the Gods of Asgard. So yeah, that's uh, interesting. And in this, and this is not the, and this is not the first time he's streamed his announcements. So that's gonna. So the interesting so part. So Kane Chronicles is one of his books. Yeah, it's one of his books, and it's coming to Netflix. <laughs> and he's working with the team on the the movie or on the series. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe this will go well. Hi. <laughs> Can it though? I mean, there are moments where producers, where authors of the show would just quit like halfway into the project. Yeah, like the Avatar um, writers. Oh, yes. <laughs> How can I not forget that and one? Thinking about it, um, I've never read the books, uh, but do you know if they cross over at all? As it with the, the Avatar? The Riordan books. Uh, I don't think they they do cross over whatsoever, but um, it would be interesting. Okay, uh, I was going to say it's um, a bit of a shame that uh, Disney owns Percy Jackson, but Netflix owns Kane. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting yeah, um, so, scenario. <laughs> well, if they're separate storylines, it's fine. If they ever want to do a crossover, it's a pain. Like how Spider-Man's always been owned by Sony and uh, the rest of Marvel has been owned by Marvel up until, you know, a few years ago when they got permission to put Spider-Man back in Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he said on his so he said on this um, stream and said, "Hey guys, an exciting announcement uh, on social media concerning the Kane Chronicles. We're developing the series. We're working this deal since last October. About the same time we started working on Percy. I'm so glad I can announce it. That's all I can say for the moment. But stay tuned. I will try and answer the questions during the Towers of Nero, Nero tour events. So." That'll be one one thing that I'm going to be um I'm I'm going to be worried about is how many retcons are they going to do in the in um the Netflix series because if there's one thing for sure is that a book adaptation is a uh, book a book to movie adaptation is great no um I'm not saying anything anything wrong with that but what I'm worried about is when people start twisting the material and you go hang on you're twisting the narrative of the st- of the whole thing yeah well that's um one of the big things in his grant about percy jackson about how they um they absolutely like even from the first p- paragraph um he points out that they've absolutely wrecked the long-term narrative by aging the characters yeah, so in the first uh, first Percy Jackson story, the characters are 12 and have four years to save the world before the prophecy destroys or whatever, when Percy turns 16. I'm just skimming through his letter again, and he says that in the, uh, the movies, Percy was 17. <laughs> so he's taking a kid series and trying to make it well, they're, they're trying to make it a young adult series. Now, it does kind of work out. A uh, 17-year-old, you know, you could kind of fit it in 16 or 17-year-olds and then have the prophecy happen when he turns 21, which, you know, traditionally is sort of a, an age of adulthood. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he points out that it would be like making Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter, a teen movie. <laughs> And and uh, that's also going to be interesting. Like, um, well, the other the other question um, I'm when we have that that's the other um, thing I'm going to be worried about is how they're going to characterize. Um, are they going to 
take liberties in the characterizations of the main characters. Like, uh, remember that um, was it Artemis Fowl and how they made him. We don't him talk at- about that. <laughs> I haven't watched it, but I've heard enough of it. We don't <laughs> talk about the Artemis Fowl movie. <laughs> Boy, that was a terrible movie, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, like literally getting every single theme of the story wrong. <laughs> Casting entirely the wrong characters for literally every character. Oh, man. I oh. used to love Artemis Fowl. <laughs> it's like, thanks a lot, guys. Now you ruined it for me. <laughs> well, I'm never going to watch it, so it doesn't ruin it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Unless maybe I um, do a, an awful movies night or something. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hang on a second. I'm just trying to find out the uh, char- the main characters for this one. So in the in the main in the main um, series, so Carter Kane, he's a 14 year old son and his sister is 12 year old, 12 years old. OK, so, so you know, sort of the same age range as Percy Jackson. Yeah. So the, the interesting part is. Doing this on Netflix, that's uh, like um, in the re- with the recent troubles that Netflix has gotten themselves into. Is this an, it can will this win people over? I think people are really blowing that cuties thing out of proportion. <laughs> Look, I think it's just as creepy as the rest of you, but it's one movie from one director on one streaming platform. It doesn't mean all of Netflix is shit. <laughs> Stranger Things is still good, mostly. Mostly, <laughs> season yeah, three wasn't as good, but you know, yeah, it's a, that, that is true. That is true. But the other question, um, in term, but then in terms of that one, like, you reckon we will see um, um, Percy Jackson fans coming, going over, like, hey, a new trilogy, cool, from the same the same author. Let's watch it. Uh, there are no Percy Jackson fans of the movie, as I understand it. Nobody liked the movies. That's true. That's true. No, the um. So any Percy Jackson fans who see this are probably familiar with the series already from the uh, the books. But I will leave you with this line from uh from the the letter that he wrote to the producers, and hopefully they don't. Uh, stuff up the the next one when i first read the script i'll admit i was plunged into despair at just how bad it was if i were intentionally trying to sabotage this project i doubt i could have done a better job than this script (laughs) so i really hope they let him actually have a say for this one because it must be crushing to have your uh your creation correct like that (laughs) yeah So we'll just pause for a moment for a, a bit of an advertisement, then we'll be back with the games we played and our shout-outs for the week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what you been playing, DJ? Playing Hyperscape. And what is that? That is another Battle Royale game that's ca- um, that has, um, that's made by Ubisoft. Okay. Uh, first person, a uh, first person shooter as well. So, um, so the story goes: it's uh, it takes place in the year 2053 in Neo Arcadia, which is part of a metaverse. And this is where you can 
play battles against each other in a sport called Crown Rush. And it's it's similar to the it's, the whole thing is similar to the Oasis in the Ready Player One series. So it's a battle royale set in the Oasis. Yep. How does that work? So you get uh, three. So you get three. Um. So you teams of three, and uh, you get to you get two weapons and two perks, and they're in and they're interchangeable as well. So you can change. So if you have like a reveal or a wall um perk, you can change it um to maybe a ball or a shield and uh, guns. The, the the cool thing about this one is if you get the same gun, you can upgrade it. Like it fuse it, and um, the, it will be like low cooldown rates, or faster fire rate, or um, more firepower. Okay. So how do you feel about it? Very fast, and I played it for the uh, for, for about thirty minutes, and man, it is insane. It's insanely fast, very quick. It's like playing Call of Duty. Okay. The um, the biggest. How long does a match last? Oh, the match lasts for about. 10 to 30 minutes. And um it's also plays a, it also plays a bit like um, Apex Legends in terms of you get a wide area and you have to and, and you can stay in the in that wide area for a few minutes then then um after Well, that's few... pretty standard for uh, battle royale games. Yeah. It forces you to uh, move together. Otherwise you get people just camping in a um in a you know, camping in one spot all the time. Yeah. So, how many beanies do you give it? Um, I'll give it three, uh, three out of five. Okay. It, ha- it has pot- it, it has potential, and um, it's it could rival Apex Legends and Valorant. It's still early days, but um, yeah, I I I'd like to see more of this. How is it going to rival Valorant? Um, in terms of at least in Valorant, you can uh you can do. You can do more than just uh like in Valorant is a CS CSGO clone and that Yeah, and, so um, this is a battle royale though. Yeah. Same with Not... um it's first person shooter about it's first per- oh, okay. really, yeah, first so person sh- yeah, first person shooter. Yeah, first person shooter. Because it's a yeah, first person shooter. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I've been playing more Fall Guys. <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> No, it's good. Oh man, you! I bet you you'd be like, need more, need more, more. Yeah. So just this week, they rolled out the Big Yeetus and Anti Cheetus update, featuring uh, the addition of easy anti cheat to keep out the hackers. Which I still only ever saw a handful, but people seem to have worse luck than me, and it is really frustrating when you meet one. <laughs> so, um, have you won any challenges yet, or are you still? I've never actually won a crown. I've touched the crown, but <laughs> someone's just beaten me to it. Oh, man. That's... The one time I would have won, except there was a hacker. <laughs> no, so I've come this close and still haven't won. Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, I still enjoy that. It's still good. Big Gitas is a um, part of some of the variant levels. Instead of adding full, completely new levels... They've added variants, which are the same level, but with new obstacles, things swapped around. It works well. And Big Yetus is a really big hammer that hits you and flings you. (laughs) So I'm enjoying that. But I also spent some time playing Star Realms, which I think I've played here before. I was playing some multiplayer against my friends. It's a, um, a deck building card game. So 
And as you build your deck, you choose a faction because you can get bonuses by having multiple ships in each in a particular faction. And your goal is to deal a certain amount of damage to the player's health. And then you compete against each other to to buy useful units out of the uh, out of the trade row. What's the uh, biggest flaw you've encountered with the uh, car, with the uh, star, star realms? Um, well, I went in and bought all of the. Uh, add-ons the expansion packs oh man that must it gets cost. pretty no it was decently cheap for the uh, for the amount of time i've put into it but it gets pretty chaotic there's uh, a lot of stuff going on and um not not a lot of uh well tutorializing so uh how many nerdy beanies would you give this game would you uh, give four them out of games? five so for both um yeah actually no i must give um i must give four guys Six out of five. <laughs> Big Yetus is gorgeous. Big Yetus is beautiful. Big Yetus is love. Big Yetus is life. <laughs> you have to, uh, you're going to start turning to David Cage and you'll be saying, give me more. Give me more for guys. Look, I'm not saying I'm a cultist, but if at any point the um, the four guys devs wanted to start a commune, I'd be in. <laughs> it would be and so you're... bright and colorful. And your Star Realms? Uh, Star Realms, yeah, four out of five. Nice. So, on to our shout-outs. On the 12th of September 2020, Josie and the Pussycats turned 50. Josie and the Pussycats was an animated TV series based on characters from Archie Comics. Josie first appeared in the comics in 1962, but didn't become a pop star until 1969. The uh, the format of the show involved the, the Pussycats traveling to record a song or perform a concert, usually in an exotic location, then getting caught up in a plot by a mad scientist or over-the-top bad guy to take over the world. The Pussycats would fail the plot, then get back to the music. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of the original concept for Scooby-Doo. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we had, what was his name, Joe Ruby? Something along those lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the original concepts was... uh, for Mystery Inc. to be a band. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, one season of the show was called Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space. And then they did turn up in uh, Scooby-Doo as a, a cameo. So that would have been a battle of the bands. <laughs> On the 14th of September 2020, a Brisbane man who drove to Wollongong to rekindle a relationship with a former partner tried to enter Queensland on foot and have his car towed through the border checkpoint. Because <laughs> he's a special kind of stupid, apparently. It's cost him a $4,003 infringement notice and $2,800 in mandatory quarantine. For 14 days. <laughs> yes. That's one heck and of a bill. Coming back, yeah, considering <laughs> he's coming back, I can't imagine the, uh, the date went well. <laughs> And on the 15th of September, Oracle announced that they would work with TikTok to prevent it being banned by the US government. Uh, In short, the proposal is that Oracle would handle TikTok's business outside China and uh, process all data on servers hosted outside China, which, uh, considering how well Zoom did when they said, we don't let non-Chinese data go through China, (laughs) and how well, you know, Oracle's got a bit of a reputation in tech circles. So basically, um, TikTok is has acquired. Uh, so Oracle has has, has um, helped uh, partnering with TikTok as a PR thing. Um, no, it's because 
TikTok would be banned and Oracle has tons of servers and Larry Ellison loves money. Ah, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. So he's going to find some way to uh, monetize this. On the 14th of September, 1851, James Fenimore Cooper passed away. Cooper was an American writer who was known for depicting frontier and Native American life. His first novel was The Spy, published in 1821, but his best known works are five historical novels known as the Leatherstocking Tales, including Natty Bumpo. I can't say I've ever actually heard of Natty Bumpo, but I'm sure our American fans might. But the one I have heard of is Last of the Mohicans, which has a movie. Cooper's goal was to counter European prejudice and nurture an original American art and culture. Just like that old joke, what's the difference between yogurt and America? If you leave yogurt alone for 200 years, it has some culture. (laughs) Yeah. I still hear that sort of joke a lot. People think America doesn't have culture. (laughs) It has culture. Sure, you might not like it, but it has it. I, I was hearing, I was hearing um, years ago that apparently Australia has no culture. I'm like, really? We don't have culture? Hey, if we don't have culture, then what the hell was all this? Put a shrimp on the barbie. That's our culture. We put the shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> Except it's not shrimp. It's prawns. You dirty Russian foreigners can't speak English. <laughs> That's so going to get taken out of context. Yep. <laughs> No, but seriously, how they got an Aussie to say shrimp, I have no idea. (laughs) Cooper died at 61 in Cooperstown, New York. Was it named after him? Cooperstown? I think so. Yep, it's named after him. (laughs) Cool. Actually, no. Misinformation. It's actually the William Cooper. Yeah, his dad. Who was the father, yeah. (laughs) My dad named this town and I'm going to die in it. (laughs) You can't take me away. (laughs) On the same day in 1982, Grace Patricia Kelly died. Grace, also known as Grace of Monaco, was an American film actress who appeared in, um, in several movies and became Princess of Monaco by marrying Prince Rainier III in April 1956. Grace was in High Noon with Gary Cooper, the comedy romance comedy musical High Society with Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra, and three Alfred Hitchcock suspense thrillers, Dial M for Murder, Rare Window, and To Catch a Thief. She retired from acting at 26 when she married the Prince Rainier. She died from injuries at, in a car crash at 52 in Monaco Hospital. Um, the, the car crash was caused by Grace um, having a stroke in the middle of driving. Damn. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, um, like, I don't know how good stroke treatment was in the 80s, but having a stroke while driving just really doesn't help things. Yeah, so it's saying that, yeah, she was driving back home when she had the stroke. As a result, she lost control of a 1971 Rover P6 and drove off the steep winding um, winding road and down the 120-foot mountainside. Her daughter, who was in the passenger uh, seat, tried to tried but failed to regain the control of the car. Oh, oh, did the daughter make it? Yeah, the daughter made it. Yeah. Don't sound so sad. At least someone made it. Yeah, I know, but such a sh- it's such a shame, though. I mean, yeah, it's very unfortunate. On the uh, the fourteenth of September, twenty fifteen, Fred Adric- Frederick Adrian DeLuca passed away. He was an Italian-American businessman, best known as the co-founder of Subway. In 1965, he borrowed $1,000 from a family friend, Dr. Peter Buck. 
no relation to our former co-host. Buck had suggested that uh, DeLuca found a, the, a sandwich shop to make money for to study medicine. Originally, the name was Pete's Submarines, which sounded like Pizza Marines. <laughs> so they changed to Pete's Subway. And I like how his plan was a fast food venture that provides a healthy, uh, healthful, less fattening bill of fare. Well, that's still their um, their market these days. I thought it was cool. I thought it was eat fresh. Well, yeah, but it's also the health things. Yeah, but does does do people really want to go? Do people go Subway nowadays? I mean, <laughs> yeah, people go to Subway. He died at sixty seven from leukemia in Lauderdale Lakes, Florida. Under the famous birthdays on the fourteenth of September, eighteen seventy nine, Margaret Sanger. She was an American birth control activist, sex educator, writer, and nurse. She popularized the term birth control and opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S. She established organizations that evolved into the Planned Planned Parenthood Federation. She drew a sharp distinction between birth control and abortion and was opposed to abortion through the bulk of her career. Unfortunately, she also supported eugenics. So, you know, all for birth control, against abortion, all for eugenics. You win some, you lose some. Mm -hmm. In 1916, she opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S., before being arrested for distributing information on contraception, because apparently at the time it was illegal to um, to want birth control, which is proven to reduce abortions. So she, she was against abortion because abortion was illegal at the time, and people would go and get abortions from dodgy people in the back alley. She believed that while it was sometimes justified, it should generally be avoided and considered contraception the pr- only practical way to avoid them, which, again... You know, I don't get why people were against, this is going to go political, but I don't get why people are against birth control and against abortion. You can have one or the other. I think it's, uh, I think it comes down to the whole right to life scenario. Yeah. And you know what? Let's not get that political. Nah. Uh, Yes, Margaret Sanger sounds like a very intelligent person. She was born in Corning, New York. I said, it's pretty crazy to think that you could be arrested for telling people how to not get pregnant. (laughs) Like, you reckon the cops ever just roll up and, uh, you know, knock on your window and make sure you're not using contraception? <laughs> Can you imagine, like, they just waltz up into your house and they, like, and they go, hey, buddy, are you wearing that? Like, are you wearing protection? <laughs> and if they catch you, they, they just haul you off and throw you in jail. <laughs> um... I'm just imagining, like, them having, you know, fire trucks of the ladders on the roof. And... <laughs> Because people in America tend to have multiple stories. So they just roll along and just pop up to the window and look in and they're like, contraception check? Yep, all good. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) On the 14th of September, 1914, uh, is that Rubby? Sure, yes it is. Rubby Sure, an American nuclear physicist who co-invented a key component of the the first nuclear weapon with uh, Klaus Fuchs. How do you say that without it sounding rude? <laughs> Fuchs? Uh, yeah, f- f- something like I, I, that. Yeah, something like that. Fox. Or it doesn't yeah. just sound rude no matter what, because that's how you say it. <laughs> it sounds rude no matter how you say it. Okay. I promise I'm not swearing. <laughs> they developed a key component of the triggering mechanism, the Fuchs-Scher polonium beryllium modulated neutron initiator. On July 16, 1945, Scher was present at the Trinity test, and he recalled thinking, this is the greatest scientific experiment of all time. Before they, before they um, looked in horror. <laughs> yeah, it's like, cool, it works. 
Downside, we've just made a massive killing machine. <laughs> Plus side, it didn't set the atmosphere on fire. <laughs> it's like those. It, it's it's like watching those um tragic um those videos. Like yeah. It's gonna be cool, and then like you, and then you go, no, holy moly, you, uh, like it's slow motion. Yeah. Uh, so Sher published over one hundred articles in scientific journals during his career, and on the fourteenth of September, nineteen forty-seven, Nigel John Dermot Neal, Neal, better known as Sam, <laughs> an actor, writer, producer, director, and vineyard proprietor. Now, people say that he's from New Zealand, but we know he's really an Aussie, just like Farlap and Pavlova and Lamingtons. <laughs> His uh, first achieved recognition in the 1977 film Sleeping Dogs. Uh, he was in My Brilliant Career, Omen Free, The Final Conflict, Possession, A Cry in the Dark, Dead Calm, The Hunt for Red October, and The Piano. The Hunt for Red October is an interesting one. He played the most Kiwi uh, Russian... Russian naval guy in history. <laughs> you know, that whole movie's a bit weird. <laughs> Nobody on that boat has a Russian accent. <laughs> I like how Sean Connery, a Scotsman, played a Russian. You're like, what the heck? <laughs> was all the other thing? Uh, what was the other thing you were saying that was uh, that's Australian? But <laughs> yeah, he's an Aussie. The Kiwis so, want him, but he's an Aussie. Yeah, so he said, Fala Pavlova. <laughs> Lamingtons. Uh, oh, have you tried this? Okay. Uh, I said Russell Crowe, apparently. Oh, speaking of, um, this is going to be a strange bit of topic. Have you tried the Lamington chips? When they were when they were around, uh, no. Oh, don't try it. It, it, it. It's quite a horror movie line. There are some things man man are not meant to tamper with. Okay. But with Sam Neill, I I, I like it. Uh, my favorite role with Sam Neill would be the Jurassic Park. It will always be na, Jurassic. Na, Park. Na, na, na. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's good in that. Apparently, he was one of the candidates to succeed Roger Moore as James Bond. He um, he now runs a a vineyard in called Two Paddocks in Queenstown. He uh, he says that he'd like it to support him, but he's afraid it's the other way around. He says it's a ridiculously time and money consuming business. I would not do it if it was not so satisfying and fun, and it gets me pissed once in a while. He names his farm animals after film industry colleagues. I wonder what he named Sean Connery as. A sheep. <laughs> it's like Tim Curry can be the chicken. Uh, Alec Baldwin, you're the goat. <laughs> James L. Jones, you can be the sheepdog. On to the events of interest. On the 14th of September, 1959, a Soviet probe reached the moon. This was the first man-made object to collide with a uh, the lunar surface. <clears throat> this gave the Soviets the lead in the space, ra- space race and prompted greater effort by the US to develop its own program. In 1957, they, they had shocked the US by launching Sputnik, the first satellite, into orbit. Then in 1959, they launched a rocket carrying the flag of the Soviet Union, which crashed into the moon's surface. I'm not sure whether it was supposed to crash, but it did it. Washington congratulated the scientists who managed it, but pointed out that just because the flag was there, the Soviets had no territorial rights. On the 14th of September, 1752, the British Empire adopted the Gregorian calendar, skipping 11 days. So they went from September the 2nd to September 14th overnight. This was the uh, the calendar new style Act 1750. Great Britain and the colonies, including parts of the, the now United States, uh, adopted the Gregorian calendar. And the reason they had to adjust was because the um, the Gregorian calendar accounts for leap years. 
based on the Caesarian calendar, which didn't account for leap years. Although the, um, in Great Britain, the act doesn't actually mention Pope Gregory, who the Gregorian calendar is named for. And I called it the Caesarian calendar. It is apparently the Julian calendar. But I'm sure you got what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Curiously, though, would you, could you imagine the, if the world decides to like um, re, re, um, revert back to the um, from the Gregorian calendar to like the Julian calendar or the Caesarian calendar? It would be a pain. We learned to live with it, but it would be a pain. <laughs> and every now and then you hear about, um, well, I think it was the the French tried to have a 10-day uh, day week. They wanted to make a metric calendar and realized it just doesn't work. On the 14th of September, 2013, Robocroc premiered. <laughs> the film Robocroc. Starred Colin Nemec and Lisa McAllister. The plot is that uh, a rocket carrying nanorobots crash lands shortly after takeoff into a zoo. The bots are released and find their way into a massive crocodile. The croc, now programmed to kill, <laughs> to target anything and anyone for its next meal. Oh, <laughs> Where would man. we be without ridiculous sci fi movies? <laughs> Nowhere, <laughs> nowhere at all. <sighs> but uh, I, I was okay. I wanted to say, what would Steve Irwin do with this scenario? <laughs> He'd jump on it. <laughs> I, I bet you he would say this. Crikey, there it, there she is, a, a, a nano-controlled robot croc. Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> this is the end of the episode. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> But it'd be fun, though. <laughs> like, no, I- no. <laughs> so that's all we have for tonight. Do you have anything to add, DJ? Uh, they could uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, that's our canon.com, where we're in an archive of our old episodes. And they can also find some new uh, podcasts, like the Misfigured Life podcast, which is basically an educational podcast that respects your time and absolutely nothing else. And it, uh, and it also talks about realistic steps to accomplish projects and tasks. Sounds fair to me. Yep. They can also uh, find us on Pod Hero. Yes, on Pod Hero for $5 a month, you can support us and the other That's Not Canon podcast. By um, by just listening to our podcast, that $5 is automatically split across all the podcasts you listen to. And we would like to say uh, every bit helps, uh, guys. And uh, with, with, without your support, we, we, we won't be uh, delivering awesome content like this. So um, every so um, please, please, please help us um, give, give us some support. And um, we'd like to hear from you. Yes, and you can check us out on Facebook and send us a message there. But that's all we have for tonight. So uh, take care of yourselves, stay hydrated, and we will see you next week. See you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.